If you are not careful and you let yourself be captured by the news and all the noise, it can confuse you into believing that there is more wrong in our society than right with it, that there are more selfish people than selfless people. Every day there are more people that you know, that you meet, that you pass by, who focus their efforts and energy into helping others, in service to others, to making their country, their community better. They are the teachers, the doctors, the nurses, the veterans, the police officers, and so many others. This is the Strength From Service Podcast. Welcome to another edition of Strength From Service. Uh, my name is Jake Palmer, along with the usual cast of characters. Uh, Jack Zimmerman, of course, is with us, and uh, Mike McLaughlin. I almost called you Dick because you got the shirt on that says Dick, and I was like, what's going so on So now here? you're going to have to take a picture. And post so, it so how many nicknames yeah, can we give this guy, from Wally to Dick to whatever, yeah. I guess? It uh, works out uh, that way. But as always, we love to, uh, we're glad you joined us for uh, today's show. This is the show where we reach out to people in the community, and uh, we want to hear their story. We want to hear their side, and uh, where they gained their strength from their service and what that looked like. And today's guest, who's going to introduce our guest today? Yeah, Mike. Mike, yeah, go ahead. I can give it a shot. So uh, today's guest is is known well throughout the community. Uh, I would say uh, he's not notorious, uh, but he is <laughs> noted in the community. Uh, uh, he has been serving as the Blue Earth County attorney for six years, eight years? I have to stop thinking. Yeah, eight years. Eight years. Yeah. years. So yeah, this, this was just the second cycle. Uh, he, he's been instrumental in a lot of community events and volunteered his time uh, on multiple uh, fronts in the community, too, as well. And then personally for me and Jack, uh, we also have uh, a first uh, seat view of his volunteerism in areas where he didn't necessarily need to. Uh, the 5th Judicial District Veterans Court, which started off as a Blue Earth County kind of veterans court and has expanded into what it is today. Uh, volunteers, faith-based, uh, other community nonprofit organizations. Uh, he's somewhat of a decent shot and hunter too at, at times. <laughs> depending uh, on my eyesight. Yeah, depending on the eyesight, depending on which eye he's using. Right. Uh, and and uh, more importantly than that, I would say for both me and Jack, uh, he's somebody also we call a friend. Yeah, uh, and too. a mentor. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. So well, uh, with that, welcome, Pat. Yeah, Thank welcome. You. Good to see you. Thank you very much. Thanks yeah. for having me. Outstanding. So let's start at the beginning. Should I do the usual joke? Uh, where were you born? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, Pat. Let's start there. I mean, obviously, people hear you on KTUE a lot, uh, whether it's in the morning show or on the afternoons with Barry or whatever. Um, but tell us a little, how did, where do you want to start? How did you become a prosecutor? Or uh, well, uh, uh, the attorney? Uh, yeah, well, I'm more interested, kind of, of where'd you grow up? Where'd I grow up? All right. Let's go. <clears throat> I grew up in uh, northwest Iowa in a small town called Oto, O-T-O. Actually, it's named after the Oto Indian tribe of the Nebraska Sioux. And actually, in the tribe language, Oto means still waters. And that's where the name Nebraska comes from. Uh-huh. So, no kidding. Yes. What's the closest, big, or what's the biggest town closest to? Uh, Sioux City. Sioux okay. City, when sure. I was a kid growing up, if, if you wanted to go to the big city, that's where you ended up going to. But uh, I grew up in a town of 113 people, youngest of five kids. Uh, grew up for many years. You're in tough, a, then. In yeah. a 24, yeah. five, 24 foot by 24 foot house with with five kids and oh, seven wow. people. So, 
you know, that's why. You learned to share early. I learned to share early, and I learned I can sleep anywhere. Yeah, right. Probably (laughs) probably learned to defend early, too. I mean, it would be tough. Yes, and I was the youngest grandchild around, so, uh, yeah, it was some some interesting things growing up, and that reminds me, you know, there's a crusty old bub back home that I remember every once in a while. He always had a few things to say, and he would tell me. One one time he said, you know, the older you get, the more you revert to your childhood. You know, I was the kid that, as as uh, a kid, I had to go to the top of the mulberry tree in the middle of the raspberry patch. We had a huge garden. We cleaned chickens. Uh, another thing that uh, that I said for a long time, people would say, "Close only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades." And I said, "Well, if you've been in a rotten egg fight, you know you know what close is." <laughs> so, um, yeah. And, you know, I was the first one in my family to go to college and and then decided to go to law school. And people said, why did you? I said, I just, I just said if I didn't go to law school then. I had a, a good job offer uh, for a trucking company out of Denver and decided not to take it and went to law school. And it's interesting where life takes you. I've got a friend that uh, reminds me, he said, Pat, you know, we're a generation of hunters and gatherers. And if something doesn't work out, you know, you're going to do something to fill in. So, uh, you know, he said at the time he was frustrated because his kid would sit on the couch and say, yeah, I don't want to do that. I'll, I'll just wait. I don't want to do that. And I'm reminded because I actually was a finance major undergrad and I'm now doing what I'm doing. And he was a criminal justice major undergrad and he's a tax attorney. <laughs> so it just it, it just depends on. And Jake, back to your it ties into what you asked. I, how did I become a prosecutor? Well. When I was in law school at the University of Iowa, family law and criminal procedure were electives. You didn't have to take them. Most law schools make you take them. I said, I want absolutely nothing to do with any of this. Started working in a law firm downtown Minneapolis, and it was a big time where they were pushing for the firms to do a bunch of pro bono work. The firm took 10 family law cases. I uh, guess who got all <laughs> new guy, uh, yeah. new guy, low man with totem pole. And then there was another person in the in the office that kept saying, you know, you should do this prosecution work because they did this the work for one of the outer ring metro cities. And, and no, no, I don't want to do it. I don't want to. Do it. No, you'd be really good at this, don't. And so then uh, there was one of the partners, senior partners, that actually, in my opinion, practicing law was a hobby to him because he married one of the original Pillsbury daughters. Oh, I'm sure. lucky. Yeah. <laughs> so, and when he said. Pat, would you like to do the prosecution work for this city? I said, sure, I'd love to, knowing that the last person that eventually said no was fired. Yeah. Right. So, well, I mean, there's, there's a, I think something uh, to that too with uh, volunteering for the job that maybe nobody else wants, where you kind of get a chance to earn your keep and build a reputation too. Right. Right. Especially yeah. being the new guy. What, what, what? You said that you didn't want to do this and you didn't want to do that. When you got into law, what did you? Uh, what, what did you want to focus on? I initially thought that I wanted to be in the corporate world and stuff, and okay. I was was for a little while doing some of that. But uh, then once I got into the courtroom, I really I really liked it, and it's um, you know it reminded me I actually was in school plays when I was in uh, since fourth grade, mm-hmm. and you know there's that theater portion to sure. being an attorney and being in the courtroom because you you want people to get to like you. So, uh, and that's not necessarily what it's all about, but right. it certainly doesn't hurt. It's a well, trial. And you have yeah. a, a, kind of a, a script or a, a plan of attack when you go in there that you kind of have to go over and memorize, too. Oh, before. sure, sure. You know, and, and part of this is growing up in a small town, uh, my dad's cousin, you know, it, it in that area, it's the coffee shop, it's the noon lunch place, the restaurant, it's the bar afterwards. And so I would go in and help out during dance nights and whatnot, and, and I, I 
would like to think that I got to know how to read people, especially people that were a little bit inebriated and (laughs) angered and this and that and the other. So just over time. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's one thing to break into different areas and whatnot when you're talking to people. And, and even when I start, uh, and then, you know, I've done a couple of jury trials this year, hadn't done for a, a while, but any time for an opening statement or closing argument, I want to get as close to that those people as possible. So I'll pick one person, look them right in the aisle. I, I'll walk up to them, and you can tell when you've entered somebody's personal space. Right. And so then just stop, back up. Okay, here's where I'm going to stand and, and do living. this. Yeah. So, so is that why you come up and hug me from behind in the hallways then? Every day, every <laughs> chance I get. <laughs> so, uh, what's your first trial like? I mean, are the nerves like level ten? You uh, know, um, it's it's still to this day, Jack. You know, we had a, a three week trial in May that that ended up going into a fourth week. Um, and when I'm in trial, I can't eat during the day. Still, sure. to, still to this day, and I'll tell people. Look, if, if about testifying, if you're not nervous, now I'm going to get more nervous because right. testifying is, is not natural for most people. Right. Unless you're in law enforcement, you've done this for so many years and testified various times and whatnot. But um, I was just talking about this uh, yesterday because actually my son won his first jury trial yesterday. Um, congratulations. Hey, congratulations. Yeah. Son in the background. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but. It was one of those situations that uh, I was reminded, I was talking to another attorney in the office, and I said, you know, I said, I don't say this very often, but my first felony jury trial in Blue Earth County resulted in a hung jury, and it was the first case that anybody could remember, and it's the only case that's been a hung jury since I've been around here in Blue Earth County. Sure. So, oh, so lessons learned. Huh? Lessons yeah. learned. Yes. Yeah. Lessons. Well, that's why they call it the practice law. I keep con- trying to learn and whatnot, and... You know, and, and trying to figure out how you're going to improve and whatnot. And that's the day that I quit learning is the day that I need to walk out the door. Was Minneapolis just a, a job opportunity or, or was that somewhere that you actually wanted to go? I mean, you know, it was it a little bit of both. Um, I had an opportunity to go to Kansas City, to go to Milwaukee or Minneapolis. And Minneapolis, I actually have relatives that live near here just, sure. uh, just off of Lake Washington. So when I was living in Minneapolis, I'd come down here to, because I, I lived in Seven Corners Apartments, which used to be behind the Holiday Inn, I forget, right mm-hmm. off of 35W. So if you wanted to listen to music or TV or whatever, you, you crank it up, then and have fresh air, phone rings, turn it down, shut the window. So I was coming down here on the weekends every once in a while, just kind of get away, and it's just like, yeah. wow, I'm sitting out on the deck, and the lake's kind of still, and you can hear birds. It's uh, Yeah. So, and then... So then, but to everybody in Minneapolis that I worked with, well, I'm a hick from the sticks because I grew up right. in that small town. And then from everybody from that small town, well, now I'm a city selector. Yeah. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's a drastic change, too, going from a town of 130 some people to <laughs> Minneapolis. Seven quarters. You know? yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, it was, it, it was, it was. Overwhelming, and, you know, yeah. Right. And I actually had a cousin at the time that lived in Anoka. And when I first moved up there, I was staying with them for a couple of months. And I learned what fishing opener was. Never knew what it was. Oh, and, right. and, <laughs> and, and a normal drive that would take 45 minutes took two and a half hours. Right. So. A deer opener weekend, fishing opener weekend in yeah. Minnesota. <laughs> yeah, try going to Bemidji in the wintertime. The fish houses are ridiculous. Oh, right. yeah. Like a parade. Yeah. 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 What, what type of schooling did you have in that small town that maybe, was there anything that kind of fostered your desire to do higher education? 
Well, that's one thing that I will I will look back and I will say it was my a couple of my teachers that that pushed me said you know maybe you should consider doing this and and they really pushed and whatnot. Uh, you know, it's been so many years ago and whatnot, but. Actually, I, I shouldn't admit this, but I'll, I'll say this. A buddy of mine and I, we were the best cheaters in the class. <laughs> and if I would have... If, if, I knew we had more in common right. than we thought that. <laughs> if I would have spent more... If I would have spent half the time studying that I did figuring out how we were going to cheat, you know, and that was my first two years. And then, then my junior year, I had one teacher that really kind of to, to pushed me and whatnot. And she was my English teacher. That was oh, one really? of the reasons I brought that up. She would never give me an A. Well, she knew that if, if I got an A, I'm just going to start sloughing off. That's yeah. it, yeah. So, and actually when I went to college and I took, ended up taking upper level English courses, but my first English course, I was the only person in the class to get an A. Really? Yeah. So I, I never I got that an A to in her. English either. <laughs> different reasons. Yeah, you can't different reasons. Who <laughs> still struggles with English. Well, still. If it makes it feel better, there's an even an A in English. So, <laughs> <laughs> so no. how, how big of a school was that that you grew up in? Actually, we were consolidated with the, with a neighboring town and my graduating class was 41 and that was the wow. largest class for quite some time and then it kind of went downhill after that and they had to consolidate with a few other towns and whatnot. And they had a, uh, the third, geographically, the third largest school district in the state. So, so that's pretty comparable um, to Cleveland. And, yeah, I mean, I graduated at 24. Yeah. Megan okay. was like 36, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, what, what college did you end up going to? I ended up going to Buena Vista in Storm Lake, Iowa. Sure. And that was, um, again, it was because through a couple of those teacher contacts and pushing and somebody coming in and talk to me and whatnot. And it worked out great for the first two years and financial aid and whatnot, but then they cut me off basically. And, and so I was going to transfer to Iowa state, but I was going to have to go for three years at Iowa state or gut it out at two years at Buena Vista. So, you know, the provost, well, just sell your car. You don't need yeah. your car. Yeah. So, okay. But what do you, what do you need a car for? You, right, get, right, you, you, right. you have to study. You just spend your time on campus anyways. Yep. And you want to walk home from the bar. You don't want to drive. Right. right. Exactly. right. Yeah. So what was, um, and I, 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 before we get too far away from uh, college and youth and, and that type of thing, what was, uh, was there anything that you felt like was really instilled by your parents? I mean, as the youngest of five, were they, were they attentive? Were they present or were they just uh, trying to keep up? Well, uh, no, I, I had a, a pretty good, good upbringing and whatnot, but um, it must have been something that there's a couple of things. My mother gave me a, 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 a cartoon and it was a cartoon of a guy with his head in the vice. And it said, go ahead, you son of a bitch, give it a turn because I work better under pressure. <laughs> and then, of course, the old Irish proverb of, of the ability to tell a man to go to hell so that you look forward to the trip. So yeah, those are the right. two things that she gave me. And so, and so I said, Mom, I don't know if that's a compliment or not. And she said, you take it whatever way you want. It's <laughs> <So, laughs> called tough love. Right. Tough right, love. Right, right, right. No, but as as the youngest, I think it's it's true. By the time you you get to the youngest, and after you've had four other kids and whatnot, it doesn't matter a whole lot what you know. But I did have a couple of of siblings that kind of blazed the trail for me, so to speak. Right. And, but I didn't get in trouble when I was in high school, except right. for a few of the cheating incidents. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, you got to learn from what your siblings did and what right. not to do and how not to get caught. caught. It's a big part, too. That's right. right. That's right. That's talking with my sister all the time. She's like, oh, mom and dad are so much easier on you. It's like, no, I just took notes on what, what you were you doing. Right. <laughs> and I'm not getting caught. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> you learn from each other. Well, and I, I've, I've always kind of disdained this uh, cliche type word, but I think by the time you get to a fifth, just like in any other place, it get, if it's going to function, 
generation, there's a culture that's kind of there. Right. Like, uh, I always think the youngest kid is never really taught like morality or to be a good person. They just absorbed it because it's either there around you or it's not. Right. And I think, right. I think sometimes we, we, we pedalize, we pedestalize people like, Oh, I learned so much from that person when really all they did was create the environment for you to grow in. Right. Uh, which is, I think so important. Well, and a, a couple of things that reminds me, Jake, you know, uh, you don't realize what you had until it's not there. And in that small town, I could walk out my front door and within five minutes I could walk to either set of my grandparents' houses you know, and I was doing that all the time. Right. My cousin always said, he said, you know, he said, man, you got the best of both worlds. You can you can walk out your front door and go downtown, play pinball, shoot a game of pool or whatever. And he said, if you want, then you walk out your back door and you can shoot a coyote. Right. So, I mean, you know, I uh, there were times I was hunting before I should have been hunting and, and whatnot. And the the DNR officer, it's just like, yeah, you and your brother just need to go home. Yeah. <laughs> so not yet, not yet. Yeah. <laughs> Slow down. We're yeah. getting there. Slow down. Take it. Take a breath. But that's that. That's that's how you you grew up and whatnot. So. And uh, what what did your dad do for work? My dad was the postmaster of this of the post office in the small town, and my mother worked as a secretary for. Uh, the principal in the the grade school for a while. So. Did you work odds and end, end jobs and stuff like that growing up? I did, and that's one thing, and this came up the other day, too. Uh, it was one of those situations. I worked for various farmers doing various jobs, sure, this yep. and that and the other, and um, there was a family that also to supplement their income, because they were a pretty large family, they took on a lot of detasseling jobs and whatnot. Oh, right, yep. And it, it was one of those situations. If you can do the, the job, you can work here, but... Uh, why don't you bring in your brother's social security card because you're not old enough right. to do this. <laughs> so I paid into my brother's social security for three years, and so I, I kind of chide him every once in a while, but sure. he still owes me. Still, yeah. yeah, it's coming. Yeah. It's All, coming. A lot of those small farming communities, too, it's like as soon as you were out of diapers or walking, you were detasseling or right. you, were you were doing, doing something. something. Yeah. You were doing yeah. something. If you could squeeze yeah. the trigger, you were spraying beans and whatever. But, exactly. Uh, did you notice, because you know, growing up in small towns myself, but you know, bouncing from you know, large towns to small towns, um, in a small town like where you grew up, your dad is the postmaster, your mom is a secretary for uh, the principal. Those are those are nice jobs in a small town. Correct. And you go to Minneapolis and you're a pauper. Yeah, right. <laughs> right? right. Isn't that that yeah. that culture yeah. is different? Yeah, yeah. It's it, it's it's very different. You know, it's and, and growing up in the era that I grew up in, it, one of the worst things that that you could have happen is. Uh, that old line, well, you wait till your dad gets home. All right, right. yeah. You know, my, my Aunt Marge and Uncle Roger had a ping pong paddle hanging up, and I learned one time. I, I, they didn't play ping pong? No. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I learned one time as a kid, my cousin's a couple years older than me, and uh, I'm, it was just him and me and my Aunt Marge at the house. And I, I went up to my Aunt Marge and I looked at her and I said, Aunt Marge, what does this mean? Oh. And she just had fire in her eyes and she never answered. And she went out and she got that ping pong paddle. And, and I just started cringing. And she walked right by me and she was, yeah, she, she, she went yeah. right after Corey. She so. went after the other one. But so. she never, I, didn't, she I, never better. I never did ask again, what does that mean? That right. was uh, for the listeners at home. That was the one finger salute is yeah. what he yeah. was displaying there. So <laughs> our so, number one. Yeah, yeah you're number one. So, um, was, what, what was college like when you, you went off to college? You got that all done, and then it, was it right away up to the uh, up to Minneapolis? Well, no, um, law school. I actually went on the on the in the, the summer program, so I actually graduated Sunday afternoon at, at Buena Vista because they wouldn't. If you don't walk, you don't get your diploma. Oh, yeah. um, I had my. I, card. Know, I I'd never get mine then. <laughs> 
I'm definitely not going to skip, not using my GI build on there. There you go. We, we put you in the wheelbarrow. That's uh, right. I'd help you, Jack. All right. uh, no, but I, I literally, after graduation, drove five hours from Storm Lake, Iowa to Iowa City, Iowa. And, you know, you, you don't have GPS. You're reading an old map. You're yeah. trying to figure out. And actually, when I was in law school in two and a half years, I lived in seven different places with 13 different people because it was whatever was cheapest. I had a futon that I rolled up, put it in the back seat of the car. If it, and sure. if it didn't fit in the car, it didn't, didn't go with yeah. it. So, and it was whatever was cheapest, and that's how I, I made it through law school. And Well, Iowa City's a pretty fun town to be a vagabond yeah. for a couple of years. And Well, if you could be a vagabond, yeah. you yeah. know. So, and actually, my last semester of law school was, was actually probably the, the best because the old adage, I think, is still true. In law school, the first year, they scare you to death. The second year, they work you to death. And the third year, they bore you to death. Sure. And I just had one semester left after going through a couple of, of summers. And a friend of, there was three of us, and we were looking for a place, and uh, Quint and Greg and me, and, and Quint looks, and he says, look, he said, I've got this figured out. He said, Pat, he said, you're cooking everything, because I've, people ask me, how do you, how did I learn to cook? And I said, I learned to cook because I like to eat. Right. Yeah. After, my <laughs> grand, yeah. Yeah, after my grandmother passed away, somebody wanted, uh, my dad wanted somebody to stay with my grandpa for a while, and my brother lasted one night. I think I lasted four years. Right. So on my grandfather, traditional marriage, he could make toast and poach eggs, and right. that's it. We didn't even know how to boil potatoes. But anyway, Quint says, uh, he says, Pat, you're you're cooking everything. Greg was a great baker and desserts, and he says, you're making it. And, and both of us looked at him at the same time. And he said, nope, nope, no." Nope. He said, I clean everything up and make sure your drinks are never empty. And we said, deal. Done. Yep. That, was, that yes. was the best semester. Sold, yep. <laughs> that's, well, last time I was in Iowa City, they had like, uh, 21 uh, pictures of bush light on your 21st birthday for like $21. So that's, I mean, must have had a little fun outside of the, the cooking and stuff down in there too. Well, not really too often. Every once in a great while because, you know, it was it was expensive. It was uh, sure. just every once in a great while because I typically, there was one of my professors that from in college that farmed on the side and he figured out all I could do and everything. So I usually helped him on the weekends oh, and nice. stuff and, and would go back home. But you had to have a little fun every once in a while. I think, right. I think Mike's confused. See, he was trying to graduate and get a law degree is the thing here. <laughs> I mean, come on. He didn't, C's get degrees, right? He didn't like, go to, okay. I always say college was the best six months of my life. Are you yeah. kidding? <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and honestly, Jake, um, the floor that I lived on, because, you know, it, new to this, thinking, what am I doing here? Why should I be in college? I don't know why I'm here. Um, there were, on my freshman year, first semester, 26 people on the floor. There was a junior resident advisor. There was three sophomores, and the rest of us were freshmen. And 13 of those freshmen flunked out after the first semester. Hmm. So, that and that's when right, I yeah. that's when I thought they must have been from Missouri then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the good news for me is I still have three and a half years of NCAA right. eligibility. Yeah. So there you go. There I go you. back whenever whenever Hofter calls. I'm there, man. It's all good. So, uh, Holding out. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, so so you got through law school, and then does that did you, was that again right? Just nose to the grindstone, right up to yep. uh, Minneapolis. Right, okay. right to Minneapolis. Right to Minneapolis. I actually. Uh, took the Minnesota bar and the Iowa bar back to back. And then I actually started working uh, in January of 1990 in downtown Minneapolis. But I didn't, I'd, I'd passed the Iowa bar, 
because they tell you right away, Minnesota, I had to wait till May or so to find out that I passed. And then I was working in downtown Minneapolis for about three years. Okay. okay. So And so where'd you go after Minneapolis with that firm? Well, I ended up a short stint in the Shakopee City Attorney's Office doing prosecution. And then I saw that there was a job opening down here in Blue Earth County. And, uh, you know, like I said, I'd always come down and stay uh, with my aunt and uncle every once in a while. And so I applied down here. And I guess, as they say, the rest is history. So you, you've you, been down here since 94? 94. 94. 94. My, May of 94. Who was the county attorney at that time? Arneson. It was Arneson yep. still, Ross. Okay. Yep. Yep. And what was what was that transition like from doing like a corporate law in the city to coming to a county like Blue Earth? Uh, I soon learned that I had much more fun being in the courtroom because yeah. I enjoyed the courtroom more. And it's like Wendy who kept pushing me. You would be good at this. You should do yeah. this. And so I did it. And, you know, and, and then my my mentor, one thing that I always said for a long time is uh, there are no stupid questions because I asked them all. <laughs> but uh, I had a pretty good mentor in the office, and one thing led to another. And you know, I don't think a lot of people can say within the first two years of your career as a as a prosecutor, you've got your first homicide case. But that was the case because just the needs of the office and everything that was going on. Is here's your file. See you later. Sure. So can can you share the name of that mentor that you had? Doug Sinclair. Okay. Yeah. What was so I guess uh, significant about that relationship? Well, Doug was Doug was a no BS type of guy, and he would just he told it the way it was. The only thing is, he was Scottish, so he would put an orange post-it note on every St. Patrick's Day and write "Screw the Irish" on it. Yeah, that's so, funny. <laughs> but he would he would take the time and he would sit down and he would explain things, and I would be looking into things. And um, I've always kind of had an, an affinity to numbers, so statute numbers I can always remember and whatnot. And my daughter gained that because my two credit cards, she knows the 16. And the three-digit code on the back. All works. Yeah. yeah, she doesn't need anything. She has it right there. So, uh, no, it's just that um, just taking that time and, and how things progressed and just the needs that here it is. We need you to start doing this. and. Um, like I say, within the first couple of years, I had my first homicide case, and it just kind of went from there. And there would be a huge confidence boost getting through that, though. Oh yeah, you know. I mean, if you can do that, right? Well, right. and it, and you're right, Jack. But it, and it got back to one of those deals. Like there were various times in my life that I just was just like, you know what? If this guy can do this, why can't right. I? Right. You know? So yeah, they're just human. I mean, right. if somebody else is right. doing it. I mean, right. I can too. Yeah, I'd be interested because um, I think there's a lot of us that uh, you know. Uh, most of our experience with lawyers is on TV. And so what's that like, you know, without getting like too crazy in depth, but, uh, you know, when we watch Law & Order, you know, they wrap it up in an hour and it's right. beautiful. You know, I mean, the tests come back from the lab in a couple minutes and it's everything is beautiful. What's that like? You know, what's that process like? Like, OK, here's I just got this file. These are the, char you know, you right. have to go through, decide how you're going to charge and then you got to get ready for court. What is what is that process like? To me, that process starts with if and, and I've said this for years, when I review police reports for the first time. I'm stopping and thinking, if I had to stand up now in front of 12 people, what would I say? That's, you know, so I kind of back into it that way. Um, I wish we could investigate the case in the first half hour and try the case in the second half hour and go home, but it's not the case. You know, the, the last trial we had, and it's easy to focus on the exception and not the rule, but it took us over a week to pick the jury. You know, then we mm -hmm. had about uh, eight, nine days of testimony. So, and it, 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 it gets time consuming. Um, but no, that's, and 
And I sit back and think, all right, can I prove this case beyond a reasonable doubt? Because it's not about holding people's feet to the fire. And one thing that I've, I've taught over the years, and I taught quite a few years at Minnesota State and Mankato State, um, and one of the things in, in, that I tell police officers, you know, it's an articulable suspicion, all right? To me, that's about 33%. And like I would tell the students, okay, when I leave the campus tonight, um, I'm going to roll through the stop sign. I'm, I am going to speed. I'm going to cross over the center line. I'm not going to signal my turn 75 feet before. Those are all reasons for someone to make contact with you because what law enforcement does is per se unreasonable. So they have to point to something that says, I get to do this because. So I think of it from that perspective and then probable cause, then all right. But proof beyond a reasonable doubt, you know, it's easy for officers to establish most days, probable cause. Uh, one of the old judges that I, I always liked, is his, his probable cause finding was is he'd sit there and he'd act like it was, in my opinion, act like he was reading through some of the reports and stuff, and he would stop and he'd say, well, I believe that a crime was probably committed, and I believe that you probably committed it. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, and that's enough to, to hold right. it hold Then they it over cut the trial. commercial, right. and it's, right. uh, yeah, right. Right. that's how it works. So. That's, uh, um, let me, and this is, this is a very general, and maybe it's a too much of a generality, but I often wonder when you see real-life court cases on TV and then you see the celebrity case, you know, you see the OJ sure. trial, you see yep. the, the Chauvin trial, you see some of these things and they go on for weeks and right. weeks and right. weeks. Is that the exception to the rule or is it every case is different and you just never know? Well, no, those are those are what the, the media would refer to as a high profile case. And, and that's one thing that I said, I never refer to anything as a high profile case because every case is important to somebody. But when you get those cases, yes, that is the exception and that's not the rule. That's not the rule, you know, because okay. it was pre-COVID in, in Blue Earth County, we had over 10,000 court hearings in one year. And the average sure, population doesn't, doesn't realize that. Right. right. I would have never, ever guessed that. So when you're in the middle of these trials and stuff like that, like you said, a week to pick the jury and then eight days of yep. testimony and all that. I mean, is your mind anywhere else but that trial during the whole thing? I mean, when you go home at night, you're just still... No, I, chewing I, on it in your mind, yep, you know. Yep, you, it, it, it's difficult to walk away from. I'll, I'll wake up dreaming. I'll dream about it. I'll wake up. I'll, you know, I don't know how many times before, you know, I was there before email, Jack. Right. <laughs> but I would call and leave myself a message in the middle of the night. Right. You know, and so yeah, you, you, you think about it when you, as soon as you get up, you're dealing with it all day. You think about it before you go to bed. It's difficult to turn that mind off. Yeah, couple couple things on that with with the age of your kids and not sorry not to age you back there, but I'm guessing with the timeline you showed up when you were jumping into all this work. I mean, you were starting to have young children in the home, and and that that toll of being able to separate and reset coming home from some of these trials, you know, are are you know there's some oh, yeah. pretty you know traumatic type things happening. Uh, do you ever have a process to kind of reset when you cross that threshold in the door with the kids? Or? Well, you, you have to. You, you have to be, able, you know, it's difficult to do, but you have to be able to to separate the two. And, yeah, you're still thinking about it, but you still have to deal with things and whatnot. Um, I was pretty fortunate. had probably one of the best daycare providers ever that uh, she, the entire time my kids were there, she only asked for one half of a day off. Otherwise, <laughs> she would make her husband stay home and take care of the kids when she had things that she had to do. Yeah. And she said, well, if you, I'm, I'm up by five if you want to drop the kids off at any point in time. So, right. And then we had a, a neighbor across the street that had a, a daughter that was a little bit uh, older than the kids, and that worked out well, too. You know, so. Growing up in a relatively safe 
uh, place, you know. I mean, I'm sure there's very little crime down there, maybe a little theft, you know, stuff like that, you know. Um, and then becoming a prosecutor and seeing every bad thing that happens in your county. Right. Does I mean, do you raise your kids differently then? Do, yes. you, do you start seeing like all these things going on? You're like, man, this is this is bad. Like, yeah. Well, when I was a kid growing up, Jack, I don't know if, if they ever found the front door key. Right. You yeah, know, yeah. And just yeah. it never it was never locked. Um, but you look at things differently, and and I can still remember, and and I knew that uh, it was one of those situations that our kids even picked up on it. Because my son came in one time and told me, Dad, you have to go outside and watch Lily because I need to go to the bathroom. Right. Sure. So, yeah. Well, and I think there was, and probably about the time you were you were coming out of uh, law school and coming to Minnesota, there, there seemed to be, as a kid, a change in mentality even in, in Minnesota. And I imagine it probably uh, spanned into northern Iowa with the Jacob Wetterling uh, oh, right. case. Oh, sure. There. sure. Uh, and I know... I could see a noticeable change, and I hear my parents talk about, you know, kind of that as a timeline. I hear other friends, uh, parents, and my aunts and uncles and stuff mention that as kind right. of a turning point as a parent, too. And then I guess, you know, you're right on the cusp of the law. Uh, well, even point. even before that, Mike, because, again, aging myself, but the child abuse investigations in Jordan, you know, mm-hmm. that resulted in a whole new different style of investigation and thinking, period. Um, but no, I, you know, cause I'd see some kids run around the neighborhood and everything. And it's just like their parents just open up the door. Like when I was a kid, yeah. Sure. uh, yeah. you know, like my dad always said, he said, well, if I want to talk to you, he said, you always seem to slide your feet under the table at night. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> Always find some food. That's right? for sure. Right? So those, those Jordan cases, not to bring that around, that was that around that uh, 93, 94 timeframe, wasn't that it? That was a little, just, just a li- little bit before that. Right. Cause it was 94 that. is when I moved to Shakopee okay. and uh, had just gotten married. Yep. And I, uh, and my wife, first wife was originally from Prior Lake and she said, we're it. not buying a place in Jordan. Right. And that was, you know, that had just all kind of blown mm-hmm. up and started to settle down so right. it's too bad you left and when you did because you could have got a couple wins under your belt with me in town for sure <laughs> <laughs> i'm thinking about that time you guys are watching all this going i was like third grade is brutal jacob wetterling i think your dad was probably still carrying you around yeah jacob. probably <laughs> yeah. 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 do you think that uh and this is a conversation i find we have uh, here in the radio station and, and all over in regular life because uh being of that age that uh, i call it the feral age where you you know in the summer it was you ate breakfast, you were out, right. and go, and if you came home for lunch, great. If you didn't, be home when the streetlights come on. Right. I mean, that was uh, that was the rule, and you just ran. And that was even even in Olympia, Washington, when I was at that age, too. Um, and people say, well, now you just can't do that. It's just so much more dangerous. And is it more dangerous, do you think, or is it we're just much more aware of everything that happens because of social media and 24-hour news cycle? I think it's it's that social media and the, the everything at your fingertips kind of mm-hmm. inundates Right. You know, it would it would take a few days or a few weeks for something to come across and this and that and the other. I mean, I can still remember in, in, in high school, one teacher, uh, they bought an Apple computer. and Well, just type your paper on that. Why would I do that when I had this luxury typewriter right, right. here? Right, yeah. You know. So. Didn't make sense. That was, that was completely different. So, right, right. Um, what, is your, uh, what is your relationship with uh, the police like and you law know, enforcement in general? I would like to think that I've, I've had a pretty good reputation over the years with law enforcement. Uh, yeah, I married a redhead with a gun. So <laughs> that has always... That's uh, risky, yeah. dude. Yeah. And, <laughs> but, you know, it, it, it's like anything else. To me, it, it, it's communication. And that's one thing that I, and I, I try to instill this in, in some of the younger attorneys. And I can still remember somebody I talked to years ago. And he just said, 
there was somebody that was angry and frustrated and they had a new attorney in the office. And I said, just call him back and, and talk to him. Just listen to him. Because mm-hmm. the vast majority of the time, people just need somebody to listen to. Right. But with law enforcement, I mean, I spent quite a bit of time. And that was one thing my somebody was complaining about uh, the time that I was spending at the public safety center, the law enforcement center years ago. And my mentor said, just leave him alone. He said, our law, our relationship with law enforcement has gone up since he, he's been here. Because it's no different than, you know, if I come sit down and talk to you and if I explain things and this and that and the other, and, and well done, if they see something that I decline to prosecute or whatever, well, right. he's not that big of a jack wagon. Right. And, so. and that's, I mean, a, a pretty, you know, you would think common understanding that you need to be present with your counterparts to build that working team Correct. relationship. And Correct. Like, again, military reference, but... Infantry, I would say, would be like the equivalent of law enforcement out, out walking the beat. But forward air controllers or, or fisters for the artillery or the, right. the air support, too, which is, you know, yep. our, our attorneys that want to help seal the deal and help right. help get the targets that law enforcement identify the same thing the way infantry identify, and, too. And help from screwing up the case yeah. through the investigation, you know, yep. and, right. and doing something wrong so you can't try something, probably. And that relationship and that communication gets stronger when you are around each other and you know each other's kind of practices and culture, too, as well. And I think one thing about you is you always you always do what you say or, or you're a man of your word, you know, and I think that carries you a lot of the way, too, where if you say this is what I'm going to do, there's no, there's no uh, you know, veering off the path, you know, that people can trust what you say. I'm not the politician that I remember when I was a kid growing up when there was a seatbelt law was a big deal. Yeah. No, I'm opposed to that. And then the next person comes to the booth. Oh, no, I support that. <laughs> right. yeah, yeah, right. I don't know no. what their lapel pin is. Got to double check. Well, I think, dude, that we see a lot of that. Again, I, I go back to TV because that's where a lot of people get those. You know, if, if you don't break the law, and you don't have a reason to interact with police and with uh, with you know with the legal system. You, your only idea of how it actually functions is off of TV and movies, and you always see the you know the the, the cops are always honked off at the uh, at the prosecution team. You know they're never prosecuting anything. These guys run and and you're over there going, I can only. So, you know, try what I can prove, and is it? I, I always liken it to the uh, the offense and the defense on a football team. You right. know, the offense doesn't always like what the defense is doing, but they don't fully understand right. it either. Right. So, you guys right. are a family; they're going to have ups and downs, right? Well, and it's and I've preached for years: too much communication is better than too little communication. And I, even within the office, I'll tell people: look, do the right thing. If you have questions, ask. And if something bad is coming down the pike, just like I tell my kids, I better hear it from you. Give me a heads up. Yeah. And I actually, a few years ago, had um, a law enforcement student who took a job, you know, and I used a, a couple of things as by example. There was uh, one old detective years ago that would have to cover the road when there, everybody else was in training. And what he would do is he would load up his pocket with his business cards and he would go out and he'd stop anybody for anything that he could think of. And he'd say, walk up. You know, here's why I stopped you, this and that. And the other, just going to check things out. Oh, by the way, I'm not going to give you a ticket, but here's my card. If you can ever help me out sometime, give me a call. And that, it's that communication piece. Mm -hmm. And this officer, uh, because I would always tell, I'd use that story and I'd tell people, look, instead of just driving around in the squad car, park it, get out, walk down the street, walk into the businesses, see what's going on, you know? And he... He came back to me after working for a couple of years, and he said, you know, he said, I did what you said. And he said, now I'm in charge of the, the Downtown Business Association. Right. Awesome. So, yeah. you know, and, and that's just it. It's in, it's in any type, no matter what you do. And I would tell kids at MSU, students at MSU, I don't care if you stand in, in line and say, do you want fries with that all day? You're communicating. They're going to teach you what they need to teach you. But if you can communicate with people, that's a big plus. Yeah. 
is that attitude what uh, led you to start getting more involved with uh, with with giving back to the community and serving more? I mean, not that you're not already doing that as the county pro- yeah. uh, attorney, but. Uh, you know, getting involved with some of these other aspects that we talked about, like with yeah, vets I think I've yeah, yeah. seen you in high heels in the paper too before. Oh yes, uh, you have red too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, and that that's something, Jake. That you know, you brought up. It's it's something that gets instilled in you, or was instilled in me as a kid. That um, it was just second nature. You you, <clears throat> it was the line that. Nike didn't have anything on anybody. If you saw something that needed done, just do it. Mm-hmm. If a neighbor needed help with something, you just went and did it. If you went to church and there needed something to be done, you did it. So, and that just kind of carried over and, and different things and different things that I was involved in. And then actually being in the system, you know, when I first started, it's the old idea. Oh, there's two sides to every story. No, there's multiple sides to every story. But when you see different things, and, and I've always kept in the back of my mind one of Clarence Darrow's quotes of years ago, that uh, there is no justice in or out of court. But when you see certain things that you can you can improve upon, um, and so if you can do some programming and help people, because basically, you know, I'll go back to the Blue Earth County Fair a few years ago. It had a, a young lady that came and sat and talked to me about going to law school and whatnot, and and she was determined. She said, I want to represent people that are on death row. And I said, well, that's a pretty specific niche. I said, but why don't you why don't you come visit our office? And I sat her down and talked to her for quite a while and about things. And then she said, look, in this position, you've, you've got discretion. You can help people in, whether it's in, in drug court, veterans court, whether it's uh, juvenile diversion, you can do different things and whatnot because it's about holding people accountable. It's not simply getting that pound of flesh. And if you can hold people accountable. And so she had went and done a couple of different things. And then last year I saw her at the Blue Earth County Fair and I said, have you figured out what you want to do yet? She said, yeah, I want your job. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, and, and that's the people that I want to hire. Right. Because if you if yeah. you hire somebody that wants your job, then they're going to do the right thing. Right. So at, at what point, too, uh, did you start progressing into like leadership within the county attorney's office, not just a frontline attorney? Well, I just think that just kind of there's that formal and informal. I just think it, it became informal because for, you know, over 20 years, um, I had handled every serious case in that office mm-hmm. or at least was having somebody help me with it. Right. It wasn't like who's going to get it. It's who's helping Pat. Right. Yeah. Right. And that just kind of happened by default. I mean, there was a. You know, the BCA, they have agents various different places and whatnot, and there's one up in Wilmer, and he would come down and help once in a while with the serious cases and whatnot, and I can still remember he's talking to one of the other agents, and he says, well, the other agent says, well, we have to run this by the county attorney. He said, well, he's sitting right here. (laughs) He said, he's not the county attorney. I've been coming here for five years. I thought you were a guy. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, and I remember how involved you were because when we first crossed uh, crossed paths, uh, you were the assistant county attorney, and that that kind of offshoot and brainchild was between you and a, a smaller group with vets court and a lot yeah. of those diversionary courts uh, too. And so I just remember uh, being a young professional, getting in the field, you know, crossing paths with you, and just kind of realizing uh, how much actual follow through and work that you were performing and getting done to, to help make a difference in the community. And that, that stood out to me. And, and so then when it was uh, probably about four years after I met you and you're running for County attorney, I was like, hell yeah. This yeah. Is, this is guy. It was such an unforeseen thing that we, we didn't even realize was needed really was the veterans court, you know, right. and, and the one um, great thing that a lot of veterans have is so many, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here, Mike? So many uh, opportunities for help, you know, yeah. right. Um, yeah. right. Uh, so benefits. I, 
And I think that's an excellent point. And I want to, I don't want to interrupt, but yeah. I think it's important. We've talked, we've mentioned veterans court a couple of times today and on a couple of our other shows, uh, can Pat, maybe you're probably the best that qualified this. Can explain what vets court exactly is. I think some people might be familiar with what drug court is, right. um, but what exactly is vets court? Well, it, it's tailored specifically for veterans. And actually I want to back up just for a little bit because, you know, Mike, I know you had your dad on the, the, the show a while ago. Actually, your dad was the first phone call that I made, and then he said, no, you need to talk to this guy named Luke. So then Luke brought Jack yeah. in, and, and you know, it's, it's a, just a different way of thinking about, all right, when, when somebody does something, usually there's a reason behind it, you know, and even if you um, think about, let's say, veterans homelessness, and it's tough to say, hey, Mike, go get a job when... Mm -hmm. Hey, Mike, where are you staying tonight? Yep. You know, so it's those types of different things. And it's just a different way of thinking because, all right, uh, you stop and think. And that's one of those things I can still remember in college. I'm taking this class and then Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Why do I need to know that? Right. You know, but it's taking care of some of those basic needs. And um, all right. And, you know, Jack, I know you, Mike, Luke, and I have had these discussions at various points in time. You get uh, your trained one thing. You point a gun at one uh, weapon at somebody for one reason. You know, you get taught, uh, you're trained, you get up in the morning, you do this, you do this, and you yep. don't question anything. And then once you're done with your service, hey, see ya. Mm -hmm. Yeah, now what? Now what? Yeah. So, and it's like uh, another veteran that I know would always say that testosterone, uh, alcohol, and adrenaline don't make for a good cocktail. Right. But mm -hmm. sometimes people overcome compensate for different things and it's giving them that opportunity because you know hey the va great out outreach specialists come down get the community members involved what can you do because we want to change that behavior and yes it's holding people accountable to change that behavior because as einstein said doing the same thing over and over again expecting a different result is that's insanity sure. so unless you address the core issues you can put people in prison all day long you can put people in jail all day long until they change that behavior they're going to be the same person you say that all the time in vets court there's no reason to lock them up right now we nope. need to get them in treatment yeah we need to get them help uh, and i remember uh, when i first started with uh, minnesota assistance council for veterans and i was at a uh, speaking event to kind of talk about our services and you were there to also uh, plug this you know formalized veterans mm -hmm. court uh, at the time and I remember uh, you getting up to talk before me and you know talked you know about the program what it was and what it encompasses for participants including the charges um, and that's I think something pretty unique about the, the court here is uh, some courts won't take people with uh, violent offenses uh, before it I remember somebody pushed you on that and I remember your response, and again, I'm paraphrasing because it was a decade ago, but it was, these people are in your community already. Right. They're in your backyard. Do you want them in our court getting the most help that they can with the lowest chance of recidivism, or do you want them out there <laughs> walking onto their own devices with just a probation agent that checks in every now and then? Right. Occasionally, yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And and part of it is, and it's, it's, you know, okay, drug court. Drug court started out, and if you're getting federal funding, you can't have anybody with a crime of violence because we don't want people, we don't, we don't want violent offenders. Well, and just the opposite, as far as I'm concerned, in veterans court, you expect violence. Yeah, that's 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 the first thing you're going to see. That's like the number one tool that Correct. vets have Correct. been taught to use, mm -hmm. right? I mean, mm -hmm. so it just makes sense, yeah. right? No, right. and, and uh, the, the the great thing that I seen through veterans court was is is you had a room full of people that wanted to help change a, a, a somebody's life that has found themselves in the justice system. 
we surround them with a ton of resources. We, we connect them with a mentor, somebody that's doing well in the community, that has reacclimated, that's uh, been running in the veteran circles, um, giving them new places to hang out with new friends. Right. And uh, accountability. I mean, uh, it's one thing to have to go in and, and uh, say to your probation officer, hey, I screwed up. But it's another thing to look at uh, somebody else that you would consider a brother or a sister in the military and go, Hey, I, I screwed up, and that's and that's the one thing that I think the mentorship was so cool about the the court that we had was that um, you're tied to this person. There's accountability, but at the right. same time, uh, it's so easy also to pick up the phone and say, "Hey, I screwed up," you know, right. I, I, "I I I broke the rules," you know, whatever it may be, and and then together they can go and say, "Hey, look, we screwed up. What do we got to do to make this right?" Well, and in a couple of very good points that you're making, I just want to follow up on Jack. You know, I remember the one of the farmers that I worked for when I was a kid growing up. He always said, "You show me who your friends are, and I'll show you who you are." Right. <laughs> and I've said in this in this line of work, especially in what what we do as a prosecutor, it's ten percent how we act and ninety percent how we react. And yeah, people are going to screw up. Yep. But the question is, what's the appropriate response? And I think of uh, a guy from back home, Freddie, that would that would fight at the drop of a hat. And the only person that could beat him was his brother, Polly. You know, and and I, literally, I can remember Paul or Freddie coming into the bar one time, and somebody said, "Freddie, you're supposed to be in jail." Yeah, they're full. They just told me to come back. Hey, Pat, <laughs> you want a beer? You're right. <laughs> so, it, and but if if and the reason I say that is if you would say, "Freddie, you've got to stay, stay sixty months in jail," he'd do that standing on his head. Right. Yeah. But if you said, "Freddie, I want you to sit down and write me a five-page paper of why you continuously do this. Right. Why do why why is this?" cycle keep going. That'll get you punched in the mouth. Exactly. <laughs> right. It would. It Where's would. Polly? Yeah, where's Polly? <laughs> so, no, and it's and it's that line of thinking and you just yeah, it's it's that insanity thing, you know. Yeah. Cuz you can some people would say, "Oh, this this criminal justice system it's a revolving door." Um, no, it's not because they're they're not even out of the system. They're either in jail or, or they're on probation. Right. You know, how many times do you see people that are either in jail or on probation for years? And hopefully they age out of it. And many people do. Some people don't. Mm-hmm. Right. So and one other thing that I've said for quite some time is I put my fair share of people in prison for life. And nobody's going to convince me that they don't deserve to be there. But at the same token, there's other people that just need that that point and that push in the right direction. Yeah. Hold them accountable. Think about it different ways and just go forward. Yeah. New circles are running. Yeah. Well, and both both those courts uh, is drug court a county court or a, a district court? County. County. So, but that county the county court and the district court, both those courts have very uh, high success rates. I mean, they have like a. Something where in the mid '90s of a non-reoffense uh, uh, rate uh, for right, but but at the same token, Mike, uh, the average addict goes to uh, treatment seven times before yeah. it sticks. Yeah. So, and there again, what, what? How are you going to react? Mm-hmm. You know, not it's district court, but it's Blue Earth County itself. You know, and actually, it was um, the. Things always, in, in my opinion, sometimes it's the old adage that things happen in threes. And I can still remember the cold, uh, extremely cold, bright Sunday afternoon that I got the phone call over, and which led me to think, there's got to be something we can do. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and um, you know, 
it, it has changed a lot of lives. I won't say any of the names, obviously, of people in there, but there's a lot of people that are, are also continuing to give back post-graduation. Oh, exactly. Community. Yeah, come back and mentor after they've yep. been through the program. I mean, well, that's that's amazing to see, really. Hopefully a couple of them will have on this show uh, yeah, eventually here, yeah. here, too, as, as well. Uh, but, I mean, that's that's something that started, you know, just kind of with an idea and follow through. And then relationships, too, uh, right. you know, from serving in the community, from being out of there, and really kind of building on that uh, strength from service, you know, from our, our title that, you know, you serve, you build relationships and, and people then build trust. And then you, you build on that trust and that relationships by continuing to do bigger and better good. So it's right. a snowball effect. And in reality, the Veterans Court gave a lot of these veterans that were trying to get fresh starts uh, a lot of credibility. You know, there's, you know, you could go with, we could go down and talk to a guy like Tom Sheeman and say, hey, look, this guy has yep. nothing. And Tom's like, here's a, here's a couch and here's a bed. And here's a table, you know, and, mm-hmm. and there's there's so many people in this community that want to help. They just don't know how, you know, and that was the one thing that Veterans Court kind of did is we had this whole group of people together with so many resources and said, look, he has nowhere to live. We, we, somebody would go, well, I know somebody that can get him into a, an apartment here, you know, that he can afford. And then somebody would say, hey, I can get him furniture. And then somebody else would give him rides to to, yep. uh, to uh, groups at night, you know, for recovery. And it was just, uh, it was just for me, it was an amazing thing to see of, of, so many people doing so such little things, but right. they all came together. They added up into this monstrous thing that changed a person's life, you know. And all of a sudden, they had a reason to wake up in yep. the morning and and to push on to, to to you know to move on and better their life every single day. And that right. was the one thing that I enjoyed about it, you know, so much was that the things that you did that you were doing seemed like you something you would do for somebody anyways. Right. And at the end of the day. Um, this person could become a better dad yep. or whatever it may be. And, 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 uh, it was, it was just a, such a, a great thing to be a part of. Right. Well, not everybody gets their, their min, many minutes of fame and it's right. always, it's the small things in life that matter. Yeah. And, and so this, a lot of that stuff kind of materialized in that assistant County attorney role. So, uh, talk a little bit about the, the process of when you were considering thinking of running for the big job, the County attorney. Well, that basically boiled down to the fact that if I didn't run and win, I'd be out of a job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, there had to have been something that, oh, oh, you mean to run because of the vacancy? But right. Stay, okay. All right, right. I'm tracking. Right, right, right. Because at that point, I was, my position went with the county attorney. Okay. So if I would have, you know, unlike the, the two sheriff's candidates, right. they both, and it's like, well, an attorney in my office that ran from a cloud county attorney to one, I said, Look, I said, if you run for county attorney and you win, yay, I'm county attorney. I said, if you run for county attorney and lose, I said, you got a bruised ego, you're out a $50 filing fee, and you still have a job here. Right. <laughs> you know, so. Yeah, big difference. Yeah. Right. Well, was there any a different shift in mentality uh, during that time frame going from, you know, employee to doing the elected? Because uh, you know, it's, it's a political position. You're elected and you're a politician. It's a, it's a political position. But and a tactic, tactician, unlike right, a lot of right. them. Right, yeah. right. But, you know, it's it's still, as far as I'm concerned, it, do the right thing. You have questions asked. And, yeah. So, and, and that's what, and even today, you know, and I've, I've told the county commissioners this. I said, you know, I said, there's five of you. I said, you can say, oh, well, this person. Or I said, you can point at, at administration. You can point at this or whatever. I said, who do I get a point at? I get to point at the guy in the mirror. Sure. Yeah. And so. You're kind of like a wrestler out on the mat. Failure exactly. is all on you. Yeah. Yeah. There's no one to point at. Well, so I, that. Uh, not to interrupt, sorry, Pat, no, but okay. it comes around full circle, kind of like what I talked about earlier. I, and uh, you suddenly became the father of this family, right? You know? And it's it's like you can't you can't teach them. You know, you can teach them to be better prosecutors, better attorneys, but you can't teach that 
morality. You can't right. teach that culture, and you have to create the culture where they can grow and they can develop and they can become better. And and I think I firmly believe some people have that or they don't. And uh, that's the great thing about this show is the people who sit down in that chair typically have it. Well, and you know? I think as you listen to him talk, you know, through this whole discussion, you kind of see those points throughout life right. where you're kind of building up and. It's not something where, I mean, he just woke up one morning and he's like, well, I'm going to be the county attorney today and I got this whole skill set. It's, you know, essentially putting yourself out there and putting yourself in those positions to help people, to get to know people, to take relationships, to serve and kind of build that that, uh, base up. Yeah, it almost seems like you found your calling early on. You know what I mean? It's just kind of you always wanted to, you know, keep doing what you were doing and, and keep climbing the ladder because you enjoyed what you did. Right, right. And, you know, to to me... Jack, in in many respects, it's it's not very complicated at all. It's communication and relationships. Yeah. You know, we've talked about that communication, but it's that relationship, like you talked about. Well, I can pick up the phone and call this guy, and he okay, we can do this. We can so, and if you have that relationship, and it goes back to that communication piece and mm-hmm. relationship with law enforcement, you know, if they don't, they it, it, they may not agree with something that I do, but I would like to at least think that they respect my opinion. Well, hey, Mike, maybe you should run. He says it's not that hard. So let me ask you, as we're talking today on a strength of service with the uh, Pat McDermott, Blue Earth County attorney. Um, so you've done all this. What's next? I mean, where, where, is there a, is there a new direction? Is there anything else you're going to expand on? Are you going to, uh, you going to write a book well, and go on tour? Or <laughs> he doesn't have the hair for a show, uh, Yeah, so. no, I'm, I'm, I'm not writing a book. I'm not going on tour. But, you know, getting back to, you know, there's various roles and and I serve on various committees and have served on various committees. You know, I think of starting the Child and Family Advocacy Center, starting the Blue Earth County Attorney's Office uh, Veterans Program, which turned into the second Veterans Court in the state. Uh, starting, you know, revitalizing and, and just different little programs, the truancy intervention program, you know, that, that had been gone away for a few years and, and I brought it back up and the educators love it. You know, and that's just another way of looking at things. Um, for example, and, and you know, you can be political one way or the other. And, but what I tell people on truancy is, is look, because many times people say, well, why do you do that? And, and my question is, why wouldn't we? Right. 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 And, and truancy, if you can keep a kid in school and graduate high school diploma, they're going to make in their lifetime at least $1.2 million more right. than a high school dropout. Okay, you want to use 20%? Do you want to use true Minnesota millionaire 45%? That's what you've just made society. Well, right. and on those interventions, too, I, I think it helps also identify maybe some other issues outside that the, the team can intervene with with the oh, child, exactly. too, as well. It's exactly. really fair to the child. Yeah. Right. That, yeah. that somebody's right. getting him to school every day and right. giving him an opportunity to, to, to get to an adult age where he can start making or she can start making choices on their own. And, you know, but be able be able to be a productive member of right. society is the biggest thing. You right. Know? And if you if you don't have that opportunity and that's why you need to stop and think. Yes, there's the punishment aspect of the criminal justice system, but there's also the rehabilitation. And if you don't look at that too much, you're going to be in trouble. Yeah, right. you're all stick, no carrot. Right. Yeah. Would you say the overall state of Blue Earth County or, you know, the, the surrounding county areas, would you say this is a generally, a, I mean, uh, seeing everything come across your desk, would you say this is a generally safe area? Generally speaking, yes. I, I've said this for a long time. It's a safe community. You know, there, you're always going to have something. We've seen some of the trends nationally yep. that they've seen of, of more of the, the serious crimes have been increasing. But 
people need to realize, um, and we can talk about that, like bringing up the 10,000 mm-hmm. court hearings and whatnot. Yeah. A lot of people don't realize, but guess what? We have the youngest county in the state. We have the second largest university in the state. We have the second highest per capita retail sales in the state. Your car insurance, if you live in the city of Mankato, is probably going to be the same as the metro ring. So it's just that there's so much activity going on here. There's very many good things going on here, yep. and somebody has to deal with the challenges. And a lot of times, that's what our office deals with, and law enforcement deals with the challenges. Well, I mean, I don't, I really don't feel like there's there's a street in Mankato that I would say after ten o'clock I'm not rolling down. I mean, there, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't feel like there's any place in this community that. Uh, is a dangerous area or right. we don't we don't go through that area right. or we stay away from there or like you know trick-or-treating we're, we're definitely not going down there right. you know it just it generally feels like a safe area but you know it's just something i wanted to ask the guy that sees all yeah. the bad stuff going on you know i mean where are we at you well know? And, and with that younger population right you have a younger workforce in here you have you know a higher quality of life you have all the educational outside msu with bethany and south, south central, central and Rasmussen exactly. and gus davis up yeah. the, those up, things up all the road too. Yeah. yeah i mean so we have a you bring that extra vitality to the community with yeah, the events and qu- yeah. qual- quality of life that we have, too, versus... Well, not, well uh, go ahead. I, I want, I'm not, not, not going to take a shot, but if you look, uh, you know, uh, 20 years ago at some of the similar-sized communities west of Mankato, right. they've all been decreasing in population, where Mankato, which Correct. I know we're talking the whole county, but Mankato has grown 20% every decade for the sure. last two decades. Mm-hmm. And that's because of that vitality in youth. We're not getting older, we're getting younger. Correct. Right. Correct. I'm curious to know because we haven't we haven't discussed it yet, and I know it's a, it's a hot topic for you, Pat. Is um, how has your job changed and your approach to the job changed with the change in the drugs? Uh, I know fentanyl is one of those things that you know. Every time you're on the show with us yep. in the morning, you always talk about the fentanyl numbers, and yep. they're just ridiculously out of hand. And that that again, that's just another you know. I think of my economics professor, it's supply and demand, right? Yeah. Supply and demand, you, and you can't get away from it. Um, it's it's frustrating, um, but it's here. It's in your backyard, as we talked about numerous times before, and, and parents just need to be aware of it, and people need to be aware of it, and it's one of those situations that I always say, look, yeah, there's times that you don't think your kids listen to you, but as a parent, they do, mm-hmm. and they expect you to uh, come out there and say what's right and wrong and whatnot. So, and it's just, you know, just keep plugging away. The last marijuana case the drug task force dealt with was only because the guy was trying to make marijuana wax and almost burned his house down. It was, it was weird having that conversation with my 13 year old about, um, you know, from some of the updates. And so being, you know, not in law enforcement, but being kind of on the fringe and having that overlap in communication, having that discussion with my 13 year old is, Hey, I know when you're you're traveling for basketball or traveling for sports, if you got a headache, don't you can't take you know an ibuprofen or a Tylenol from a friend, does it? Right, don't nope. do it. You can't because of the pill presses that yep. they're doing to make yep. uh, fentanyl look just like a regular right. over the counter yeah. and everything too. And and again, you know, the more things change, the more they stay the same. I remember that conversation about my with my parents. You know, the same thing as, well, you know, the marijuana is not the same as it was in the 60s. Now, yeah. you know, you, you can't. I mean, they're right. laced with things and everything else, too, as it's going on. It's Except for now, the stakes are even that much higher with the potency of the stuff that's out there. So, um, Does it, it feel like the urgency is changes, or has that always been there? It's kind of always been there. Okay. It's it's just flip-flopped, you know, and for a long time, you know, we hadn't seen hair or we hadn't seen meth for Years and when I first started here in '94, you know, somebody came across it. They had no clue what it was, um, and then all of a sudden, bang! And then when it was the cartels and whatnot, and actually, you know, I'm not going to get into names and whatnot, but there was an investigation that started in 2019 that has just 
taken a spin and a spin and a spin, and they're still <laughs> working just from all the, you know, you talk about the... Oh, off the spin-off of one case, you're yeah, saying. One case, yeah. And finding all these different they're channels. S- they're yeah. still running with it federally. They're, it's been to Colorado, it's been to California, it's been to Mexico, it's, you know, and people don't realize that that same agent here locally that started out with that case is still working that case. Oh, Lord. Is that, I've heard that before, um, that a lot of... Uh, th- those drugs, fentanyl and heroin and, and meth, now is uh, from south of the border. Yes, and, and that, is that and true for our area? The, the large yeah, majority of it is. Yeah, I mean, the the meth for sure. I mean, it's the it's the super labs from down south, and and there's just so much out there. It used to be, you know, if you go back before Julie Rosen uh, took the stuff behind the the shelf, the cough, the cold medicine behind the yep. shelf. Mm-hmm. You know, you might be talking a pound of meth might cost you ten, twelve thousand dollars. Well, now that pound of meth is probably going to cost you a couple, two, three, depending on how many oh, you wow. buy and, and whatnot. Like, again, that old supply and demand, and then the suppliers got so much, just going to say, "Well, Jack, instead of me just giving you one, I'm going to give you five or three. Sure. And so just pay me when you get get the money." Mm-hmm. So uh, the fentanyl, some of the fentanyl is coming from overseas, you know, uh, but it's it's coming in from wherever. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that adds a whole new dynamic to right. it too. And, then. and the average public doesn't realize. I mean, there was there was thirty thousand pills that was taken off in North Dakota that was slated to come to Mankato. With with those those international uh, kind of drug suppliers pushing things in, and, and then you know when you have some of the local frontline dealers, is that looked at differently than before uh, when those local frontline dealers might have been growing and producing on their own or? Are they looked at more as kind of like the, the Patsy uh, now, or how, how is that? Well, that's what they keep trying to work up the chain. Sure. And that's how this one case has kept going for four sure. years. It keeps going. Mm-hmm. It just keeps, it keeps splitting off and splitting off and keeps growing. And I suppose like, like you were saying, too, you know, we have such a young young town, you're going to have to expect that some of that is going to be here. But sure. the ultimate thing at the end of the day is trying to curb curb that, you know, and, and, and try to keep – I mean, I just don't understand. I really – I have such a hard time understanding of – of, uh, you know, with like meth and, and things like that of, of you know, wh- whoever thinks it's a good idea to try it once, right. you know, well, I mean. I think right. it's an escape and for some, sure. and others with peer pressure, you know, a couple of Irishmen over here talking about old adages. Uh, <laughs> yeah. so, you know, so they say about the Irish, some people die of thirst, the Irish are born with one. Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> you know, so, but, but no, I, I think I think that's, you know, what you tend to see a lot of desperation and trying to right. separate themselves from their daily life and as potent as they are now and as addictive as they are, I mean, really, for a lot of it, I've talked with a recovering addict before uh, talking about, you know, these newer substances. And I said, from the first time I did it, after that, that's all I ever wanted to do. Like, sure. It just, it, it well, me. meth meth actually is uh, the most addictive drug out there. Caffeine would be, or nicotine would be number two. Um, and I'm not sure where the where the fentanyl comes in on that. But now they're starting to see, and I hope that we don't see it around here, that the fentanyl is being laced with the xylazine, and that's another downer, and Narcan doesn't work. Yeah. yeah. Narcan doesn't work. You're not coming back. Because that's, the the xylazine's, uh, isn't that based in, it's supposed to be like for animals? Uh, Is that the horse uh, sedative? That's ketamine. Okay. Yeah, ketamine. I had a shot of that one time when I was in the hospital. I came out of surgery. Uh... Worst pain I've ever been through. I mean, it was excruciating. I hadn't had my meds all night, 12 hours for the surgery. Wake up, and, uh, I mean, they, they loaded me up with the lotted. I mean, you name it, they were giving it to me, and finally I was like, I looked to my pain management guy. I was like, you really got to help me out here. And he's like, I got you. And he came back, and I remember him putting that into my pick line, and all of a sudden it was just like, 
Perfect. Everything was good. Everything was good. And then all of a sudden I started tripping and then my started trip went bad. an airplane in the background. Yeah, yeah, right. uh, white rabbit starts playing. Yeah. It was pretty wild, but yeah. uh, definitely uh, my trip turned bad then. And it was, uh, I was like, nope, I'm good. I don't need that stuff ever again. I'll just deal with the pain. At yeah. the uh, at the risk of sounding like the like a boomer in the room here. Um <laughs> Love that phrase. Yeah. Um, do you suppose? Do you suppose that uh, the person uh, before you, or maybe the person before him, had the same thoughts? He's like this. This damn marijuana. What are we going to do? I mean, I'm just Kid, wondering if we have the same battles, just at a different level. Kids are drinking their drugs again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and, and yeah, hophead. <laughs> you know, you, you Jake, you bring up a good point because every once in a while, I I stop and I, I take a step back and it's just like, okay, let's see the whole picture because there's times that I stop and think, you know, my grandparents, oh, this generation's going to hell in a handbasket. Mm-hmm. And my parents, this generation's going to hell in a handbasket. But it, it, it just seems like, in some respects, it's a little bit the same, but it's not exactly the same. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I think the, I think that we will continue always to have various challenges and what's going to happen. And and again. I think part of that is, again, how do you react, not necessarily how you act. Well, right. and your, your grandma it. and grandpa probably would have been on that age where they're drinking bathtub gin that makes you lose your eyesight, you know? Right, <laughs> like, right. Well, and, and I, think of, I, I think of one of my law school professors years ago, I said, if you want to stop and think of what the United States Supreme Court is going to do, stop and ask yourself, what would my grandparent do? Yeah. Right. You know, yeah. I mean, so it just... Yeah. You know, and, and to, a certain, uh, to a certain point, too, you know... Uh, We've never lived in a better time either. You know no, what I mean? Right. You know, Abundance. Yeah, yeah, you get in a car accident. Um, you know, sixty years ago, they weren't throwing you in a helicopter and flying you to Rochester to, to find the best doctor. I mean, you're 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 lucky to live. Or you your know? car talking to you, asking you where you are. Yeah. Are you okay? Right. You know, and it's just like, is yeah. the world really? You know, and and I, I hear people say it all the time. Still, you know, all times are getting so bad, but at the same time. You know, there's always food on the shelves. You know, there's it's a store. I mean, typically, you know what I mean, but maybe not the exact flavor you want or whatever. But for the most part, you know, you need to see a doctor. You can see a doctor almost immediately. You're having a heart attack, they'll, you know, be able to go in through your wrists like one of our last. You know, you know, um, turn the faucet on. You got drinkable water. Yeah, flush the toilet. It goes away. Heading out to an outhouse. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on. That's like what I talk about a lot in my motivational speaking is attitude and perspective and. You know, life is so much, you know, um, we can find so many things to go, oh, yeah, now we're, now kids are doing this, and these drugs are getting out of hand and everything else. But at the same time, you know, uh, these people that are on these drugs, for once, have an ability to go to get uh, the best treatment possible, right. you know, and so on. You know, and people have always been on drugs, right. you know. But, yeah. you know, it's just, uh, you know, maybe 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 some generation will stop saying that sometime. Yeah. You know? yeah. And, and, Jack, actually, you, you reminded me, you know, me growing up in the, the – 80s, growing up and working in the 80s, 90s, and, and early 2000s, up until the the Great Recession. Yeah. Um, from a financial standpoint, when everything was just booming like crazy, right? I've got it better than my kids are going to have it. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. from from that perspective, and so, and you know, and you're right. It's a it's a lot of that attitude and and how yeah. you know. Okay. And look, I mean, just look That's at too, like you know, how many families you know think about like where you came from and the upbringing you had, right? You know. Uh, how many people on your street own fish houses that they would just recreationally use on the weekend that could sleep five? They're probably bigger than your house. You I didn't know? even know what a fish house was. Right, right, right. you yeah. know, and you know, people have campers, you know, and every family has on the two vehicles, you know, and two vehicles, and everybody has a cell phone, you know. Kids right. have, I mean, it just it just goes on and on and on to the things in this world that we have and, and how 
cush life is now, you know? One of my favorite quotes, and it's almost embarrassing for me to say this in this room, especially with Jackson beside me, but uh, (laughs) you're not having a bad life. You had a bad meeting. You had a bad day. You had a bad date. You know, you, yeah. you had a bad drive to work, you're, but you're not having a bad life. Yeah. So perspective is like you said, yeah. you know, sometimes you got to step back and look at it all in perspective. So um, before we uh, before we get to the end here, Pat, and wrap this up, I always like to ask some uh, a bizarre question or two just to kind of, sure. you know, get a little more introspective. <laughs> um, it's not what right? color underwear is. Yeah, no, <laughs> he doesn't. He already, Jake, <laughs> Jake already knows. Jake already knows. Keep the door to, open. I was going to say, I'd have to pull my He's pants He's a county attorney. He doesn't have any on. Come on. Is that big? It's got to have them that big. If you had the opportunity, this is a great question. I always love this question. If you had the opportunity, what, uh, what if anything, would you tell your younger self? What piece of advice? You know, that's a very good question because I've thought about things like that before. And um, I had a, a very unique perspective in the respect that um, there was nobody there to kind of show me the ropes for, hey, this is what you need to do for college. This is what mm-hmm. you should be doing. So everything I did, I kind of did on my own. Um, I don't think I would change anything because it would definitely take away from who I am. But uh, another old mentor of mine uh, years ago said, well, Pat, if you need to work on one thing, why don't you try working on a little bit more empathy? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, would you do it again? Same yes. thing, same way? Yes. Right on. I would. And then the, uh, the third question I always like is, uh, what's next? What's next? Um, Jake, hopefully someday I'll live long enough to take uh, and step off the merry-go-round and do a few things. So Hopefully get your elk. Yeah, yeah, get yeah, back yeah. there, more hunting and fishing. Yeah, and... I would take I would take Jack. It's easier to pack stuff out. He can just roll it out That's for you. That's right. <laughs> well, you just put Jack on your back, give him a gun, yeah. so you can shoot in both directions. There right. you yeah. go. I got you, sir. Hey, hey you, you cover the back. I'll cover <laughs> yes, the front, yeah. man. Let's go. <laughs> One quick thing before we wrap up, I just want to hit on. Uh, obviously, I mean, you've had impact on people in your professional life and uh, other attorneys that you've supervised and you worked alongside now. Uh, what does it mean for you to have your, your son kind of pursuing that craft now and to see that as a father uh, from your perspective? Well, um, and it kind of ties into with, with with what you're asking. And, I mean, I've had these conversations with my son before. Look, I, you know, I can help you and open some doors, but you have to be the one to get there and follow through and what she's been doing. Um I can't make the calluses on your hands. I can just give you right. the tools. That's it's right. not kind of like a family right. business either where you can kind of come in and let everybody else do the work and hang out. You know, being an attorney, you really got to, I mean, you got you to do work, you know? But, I mean, there has to be, you know, I'd assume, you know, father myself, none of my kids are working. Uh, I don't know why my 13-year-old doesn't have a job yet. Uh, no, no dedication. Uh, lo- love, you, love you, Carly. Try not uh, to judge here, Mike. Yeah, no, I, I love her very much. She's doing the best she just clearly, she just clearly unmotivated and undisciplined. It's all right. Don't worry about it. You know, no she'd, be, she'd be at least paying the, you know, the utilities or something. But, but I mean, there's a sense of pride, like even, you know, watching Carly succeed and overcome Absolutely. adversity, but then excel in, you know, certain aspects of her right. life. That gives me a huge sense of pride. And that's not even something that's like my craft or my trade that I've dedicated my life to. But watching your son kind of start to excel and succeed at that. I mean, that's got to be kind of you know, step back and it's, give you pause. Yeah, it's, it's good. And. 
Um, here's the way that I look at it, Mike, because I was actually just having this conversation with a friend of mine yesterday. And I said, look, I said, it, it where my son is at in his career, he's definitely beyond where I was at the same age. Nice. And he's, as far as, uh, you know, I don't want to sound too biased, but I want to say he's better than I am. Uh, and, uh, record that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We've got that for you, bud. Okay. Don't worry. It's right here locked in. Well, but you want to talk about communication and relationships. Um, two of this, I'll just only mention two of them, but two of, of, of his uh, people that were willing to write references for him, one of them, then he, I don't know him, don't know either one of them. And he came up with these on his own. One of them uh, is a Minnesota Supreme Court justice, and the other one is the leading ethics attorney and lawyer in the state. Oh, really? oh wow. That's impressive. Uh, you, and that has to you be. You can tell a lot about a person when you look at their friends. Yeah. Right. And it has yep. to be incredibly humbling as, you know, um, his father and his, his prop. I would hope he would consider you a mentor, you know, um, to have somebody bring these kind of uh, re- letter of recommendations in. But, uh, you know, but also to be able to say, hey, hey he's better than me. Yeah. You know? And I got I, I do have to tell you this story, though. And this was Thomas's first year of law school. Luke called me and said, hey, I'm going to go early goose season taking the kids. It's not going to be anything he said, hard. He said, why don't you and Thomas come out? I said, ah, Thomas already started school. He said, bring Lily out. And Luke reminds me of this story every once in a while. So Luke's sitting there, and, and Lily's sitting there, and so they're kind of going back and forth. And Lily, well, I want to do something in the medical field and this and that and the other. And, I, and, and then she looks at Luke, and she says, well, and if that doesn't work out, I'll just go to law school because if Dad and Thomas can do it, I know it. <laughs> so, so, so Luke always asked me when, once in a while. Asked me, he said, "How's your daughter's fallback plan?" Yeah. yeah, how's that going for you? Uh, now so, she she must take after gig. mom then, probably. Yeah. Right, right. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, uh, Pat McDermott, I can't thank you enough for uh, taking some time and uh, being on the show with us today. The name of the show is Strength from Service, and uh, you are just a, a pillar of of service and strength for our community and the thank things you. that you do and the people that you touch and I hope I hope you can continue to uh, to carry that torch and to uh, and I can see uh, just you know sitting here it's very obvious that you're uh, you're not doing this for the fame and glory of this podcast right. show yeah, right. <laughs> or or any other fame and glory I I'm think doing it for fame goes. and glory yeah, yeah, right. yeah right exactly and so. uh, before you leave don't forget to drop off a couple of those get out of jail free cards I don't know where <laughs> yeah, where do you get those and make sure to sign this time last time I didn't work those things are pretty awesome so uh, so thank you again Pat for not only being uh, who you are in our community, but taking some time to come in and talk with us today. Appreciate it. You bet. Thanks for joining us for another edition of Strength from Service. We'll see you next time. This is the Strength from Service podcast. 